So I, I found the perfect virtual zoom background for me. It's basically, it's the cartoon of the, the this is fine dog, but the dog is removed. So it's like, I am the, this is fine dog. And, <laughs> and, and I, I am the, this is fine dog. So it's, it's absolutely perfect for me. All right. But do you know the Twitter handle Nihilist Arby's or not? Oh yeah, I followed Nihilist Arby's. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's <laughs> it, it was always very dark, but uh, its COVID tweets have gotten darker. If that was possible. Oh yeah, just <laughs> yeah. like this podcast. Yeah, yeah, Nihilist, the Nihilist Curling Podcast. <laughs> we are now. I'll change. I'll change our uh, our cha- I'll change our handle from Curling Podcast to Nihilist Curling Podcast. <laughs> all right nothing no, nothing matters curling is canceled eat at arby's Hey everybody, welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond, uh, coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining us as always in Southampton, England, is our very own Professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, um, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, is, yeah. What, what day is it? Uh... I today today I realized it's Sunday. I I know it's Sunday because I don't have a MS Teams conference call scheduled in my diary. <laughs> that's good. It's <laughs> good that there's something that tells you what day it is. And I've taken the decision of not answering any work emails on the weekends. So that's that's how I'm structuring my life. But if you don't know it's the weekend, how do you know not to answer any work emails? I got so this week I actually did lose the middle of the week I didn't know what day it was. Like I I wasn't I got to Wednesday and I was like is it Tuesday is it Thursday is it Wednesday I was honestly not sure. Um our one kind of decadence is we'll we'll take the risk and order a pizza on the Friday. So that's kind of our that's like our mental thing to get us through the week. Uh, nice. Just gotta get to, just just get to that pizza. Get to the pizza, and then we've been doing. Uh, you, you've been kind of kicking in on that. We've been doing a South of England curling club broom stacking thing with the members there, which has been good. So that's yeah. that's kind of building a bit of structure into the week. But the rest of the time, it just it just mm-hmm. drags. Yeah, I discovered. All right, here's my my discoveries. Um, halt and catch fire, which I think came out in the U.S. after I left. So we just found it on. Um, Amazon Prime here. We've been watching that. That's a pretty good drama. Uh, you been watching anything? Uh, I, uh, so I have started watching Star Trek, the original series. Oh, wow. And classic. I was, I've never sat down and just watched all of the original series. I'm a next generation guy. Um, so I've seen mm-hmm. almost, I've seen, I've probably seen every episode of next generation. And so far, uh, so far, I'm a bigger fan of Next Generation than uh, than the original series. I'm about uh, 11 episodes in on original series, but so far, I'd much prefer Next Generation. 
Have you seen, if that's the one, so there's two of my favorite episodes ever. The one's the Doomsday Device. That's the one that becomes the basis for the first motion picture. Have you had that one yet? No. And then <coughs> another one I really like is where they encounter the Romulans for the first time. And it's basically like a submarine battle between them and the Romulans. I that's think- pretty... I think that's why so far I like I prefer Next Generation. So I mean I'm only eleven episodes in, and so far the first season, the first eleven episodes, every episode it's it's more they deal in psychology and like man versus man kind of stuff. Whereas Next Generation, I remember it. There was a lot more, and this will show you how much of a nerd I am. Uh, they they got into like the politics of the Federation a lot more in the next generation, at least so far. And I much preferred that rather than kind of the psychological warfare kind of stuff where, you know, so far it's very episodic and like every every episode could stand on its own. There's not really a one one true through storyline. It's just kind of one offs of, you know, um, looking at, at at different points of psychology. Yeah, no, that's that's how it was. I mean, just the although the first season of the Next Generation is actually really bad because that happened during a writer's strike. Mm. Basically, spent a lot of time with bad writers recycling original series ideas. I think it really hit its stride when they introduced the Borg. Oh yeah, just, like for me, I was like a kid when that came on the episode where Picard became um, a Borg. Sorry, spoiler alert. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, yeah where that was my that was my favorite one too. Yeah, that, that and that was a cliffhanger. You had to wait all summer to see what's going on. Is Picard going to stay a Borg? That was that was very dramatic for me as a kid. Yeah, that's what got me into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then so, I also I also binged Sunderland till I die because they released the second season because I I watched the first season a couple years ago and then they. They released the second season of Sunderland Till I Die, which kind of it, it just follows kind of the background of Sunderland AFC in in England and uh, them getting relegated twice. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, that was yeah, really that was good. A... It's actually, yeah. and I will say, um, from like a corporate standpoint, it's actually really th- this season of Sunderland till I die is a good one to watch. If you're kind of a corporate person looking at like how to change cult- a culture in an organization, season two of Sunderland till I die is really good on that. Cause it's a change in ownership and they realize that the entire culture of the club was nothing matters because all we do at the end of the month is we send a bill to our really rich owner who lives in Florida and he writes a check. <laughs> <laughs> so they're having so, to change so, all of that. <laughs> who, hmm. Where's the manager from now? Who's is the new owner? Where's the new owner from? The new owner's from uh, England. They listed his, oh, okay. they, every time they showed his home, it was listed as Oxfordshire, which I don't know where that is, but. Uh, I have no idea uh, if that's even close to Sunderland, but it's got to be closer than Florida. That's <laughs> far from Sunderland. That's close to me. It's where Oxford is, obviously. So that's about 90 minutes north from me. Okay. And that's a that's a rich part of the country, and Sunderland's a working class part of the country. Well, yeah, that's so. very much that the that aspect is very much um, looked at throughout the series, both season one and season two. Yeah. In England, the north is like the south in the U.S., and the South is like the North in England, in the U.S., if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. And if you're really confused, just Game of Thrones geography, because England is basically Westeros, Westeros. and then the north of the wall, that's Scotland. <laughs> yeah. Very so, nice. Yeah. Yeah. George R. R. Martin basically ripped off the UK when he was coming up with his his world building. That's kind of what it seemed like. Yeah. Okay. All right. So besides that, how's, uh, I guess, how's not curling going? Um, it's, this is hard. This is so freaking hard, to be honest. Because <laughs> it's like, there are days where you wake up and you're just trying to get through the day. And you're like, if I can get to the end of the day and I can say, okay, today I was a C plus parent and a C plus employee, that's a win. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of agree with that. There are definitely, and, yeah. And it's like, I, you try to feel fortunate and you try to, you, 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 you try to kind of look kind of outside looking in and kind of realize, okay, one, be in the moment because this is very rare. A lot of parents aren't getting to spend as much time with their kid as I do. This is a very unique situation where I'm not having to be at work and away from him all day, every day. Um, I get to be there. I get to have a lot more time with him than I would have if we weren't quarantined. So you try to realize that, but then it's like, you know, when I'm working, I feel guilty that I'm not watching the kid. And when I'm watching the kid, I'm feeling guilty that I'm not working. So it's like, it's just mentally, this whole thing is like just really straining. If you, if you want to be real honest, as I become Debbie Downer here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember I, I was, so we're allowed, we might lose our right to exercise. So I'm actually, after I finish recording, it's going to try to go for one more run because today it was threatened. They're going to take away our hour of exercise, oh My God, <laughs> exercise, which I think will drive me nuts. Cause the only thing keeping me sane so far has been getting out for a run, uh, you know, every day aside from that, uh, <laughs> It is kind of a grind, like you said. Alice and I went for a walk, I don't know, earlier this week, and she said to me, "Well, dogs must love this." And I was like, "Why?" And she's like, well, "Like, think how sad dogs are when their owners go away during the day, and now the the owners are home all the time. So, I guess the dogs are the big winners in all of this." Our dog is the opposite. Our dog is just like, "Why won't you leave?" Oh, the dog wants you gone. (laughs) Our dog sleeps like 22 hours a day and she's just like, why? Why can't you just leave so I can sleep? (laughs) Uh, We do have some curling news. You want to talk about some curling news? Yes. We have seen a WCF official letter. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. We don't have... to you the other day we don't have many sources but the ones we have are good ones (laughs) yeah so we've seen a letter from the wcf that is dated april 3rd it's a four pager uh and it basically details the wcf plans for um the olympics so the board had a meeting this week it sounds like and they've put in place a set of rules and now they're consulting with all the member associations so it's not set in stone but long story short is there will be no world curling championships, uh, at least until September. So everything that was postponed or canceled is officially canceled. Like those yeah. events will never yeah. happen. Men's, men's worlds mainly, and because we'll talk about them in terms of the Olympics, women's worlds, the men's worlds, and mixed doubles worlds are 
capital C canceled. Although in this letter, because it's from Scotland, there's two L's in canceled. Um, since we're, since I am in, um, since I'm in America, it's canceled with one L. So capital C canceled with one L. Yeah. And so then they've got qualification rules for the 2021 world championships. So Switzerland's hosting on the women's side, so they get in automatically. Then two Asia Pacific zones out of the Pacific Asia championship, seven European ones, and two from the America zone will qualify. Mm -hmm. And then on the men's side, Two from Pacific Asia, eight from Europe, one from the Americas Challenge, and then uh, one from a world qualification event, as well as Canada as the host. And then the mixed doubles, all 20 teams that uh, qualified this year will qualify, and then they'll have an, an expanded one next year that will qualify four more member associations. So it'll be a 24 team tournament next year for the world mixed doubles yep and yeah, they're gonna so, relegate eight from that to return yeah, 20, all, 2022 which, yeah which all seems i mean you have to make you have to make changes because this is such a unique circumstance but the main the main thing the most interesting thing and this is not official it's they're they're working on getting feedback from the member associations is how they're going to structure qualification for the Olympics, which is very different than what it has been in the past now because of worlds getting canceled. Yeah. So I'll read out the, uh, want me to read out the big paragraph? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Cause it's, it's too complicated to explain. Try, yeah, so try to make, try to make sense of it because I, I think I understand it, but I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah, so it goes, the World Curling Federation will seek approval from the the International Olympic Committee for the new proposal that the top six teams in the World Curling Championships for 2021 will qualify for the Olympic Winter Games Beijing 2022, and that remainder member associations that do not qualify for the Olympic Winter Games Beijing 2022 from the 2021 World Curling Championships will join any member association that had a place in the 2020 World Championships but is not qualified to compete at the Winter Olympic Games in an extended Olympic qualification event in 2021. This will mean that in the men's and women's Olympic qualification event, there will be four qualification places available. And they have a bracket here, unless China have failed to qualify from the World Curling Championships 2021, in which case they will automatically be awarded a qualification spot leaving three places available. And in the mixed doubles, there will be two places available. So here's what, here's basically what I think that means. And that is if you finish in the top six at worlds in 2021, assuming that has, assuming that world championship takes place. If you finish, basically, if you make the playoffs at worlds in 2021, you are in the Olympics and then depend the, what, Every, the other qualifications, qualifications are going to come from the OQE, which is usually two spots. And it's now the number of spots coming from that will depend on what China does. If China makes the playoffs at Worlds next year, then there will be four spots available at the Olympic qualification event. If China does not finish in the top six at Worlds next year, the men's or the women's, 
then they get the qual they get an automatic qualification obviously as the host and then the number of spots available at the OQE will drop to 3 yeah so that makes sense so the so the olympic qualification events will be bigger Next mm-hmm. year's worlds will actually be more significant too. So you've basically got to qualify yep. for a playoff spot to get to the Olympics. Yep. You get one shot. So when when we kind of talked about when we kind of started previewing women's worlds and men's worlds before they get canceled, we talked about how important it was to have a good showing in this worlds so that you weren't you didn't have your backs against the wall next year. Now that's out of the question. Now is just straight up you have to qualify. For ne- at, you have to make the playoffs at next year's Worlds to know that you have your Olympic spot and not have to go to wherever the Olympic qualification event is going to be. So I think yeah. this puts the member associations in a difficult spot, I think, because you want to be fair and send the team that is your national champion to Worlds. But you have to also look at it from the point of view that you you have to make those playoffs. Like you do not want to have to go to an Olympic qualifier. So like if you're the U.S., you have John Schuster who won this year's U.S. Nationals but did not get to play in the Worlds. Next year, what happens if he isn't the national champion? Do you automatically send whoever the national champion is, assuming they qualify under the under the rules? That obviously the, the U.S. has some complicated rules on who qualif- who who can go to Worlds if assuming they win U.S. Nationals. But if another team wins Nationals next year and they're the Worlds team, do you then have them play Schuster for the right to go to Worlds since he didn't get to participate this year? And it, you, you have to walk that line between having an open national championship system and making sure that your country is in the Olympics because of what that means to each country. Like you look at the number of curlers that you get in the U.S. when your teams are on on television in the Olympics and what would happen if they weren't, I think it's, I think it's significant. And I think the, the, like for the U S the last thing they can do is have it is have something happen to where they don't qualify for the Olympics this year. Yeah. So that's issue one. I think issue two, uh, is we don't know when quarantine's going to end and just kind of reading a lot of stuff as i'm sure everyone has been like reading a lot of news coverage of this because it's affecting all our lives it seems like it's going to end in stages so it may get to a point where we're you know perhaps less restricted from our homes but international travel might still be very restricted even in the autumn right Mm -hmm. so all of the qualification for the 2021 World Championships relies on the regional qualifiers yep. that are scheduled for which are next, early in the season. Early in the season, next fall, it's unclear to me how many bond spills are going to be able to run early. It's unclear to me how many rinks are going to be able to open up on time. I mean, I work at a university, and we don't know if we're going to be able to launch a fall session or have a fall session online, or we don't know what we're doing for September. It's very much an open question there. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure for curling, it's even more complicated when you start talking about travel across international borders for 
even these regional qualification events. So there's a very big if there, right? Like, like the experts say it's, it's probably 18 months till a vaccine and a vaccine's the one thing that can put, put uh, this kind of plague, if you will, behind us. So we're still waiting till what next, almost next summer Mm -hmm. before we get, before we get kind of absolute definite conclusion to that. So this may just be the first round of delays. This, we may end up having to end up, end up in a situation with some kind of super spiel, uh, late in 2021 to determine the whole qualification for the Olympic process. But, oh man, that um, would be crazy. So you're, <laughs> do you think that we would get to a point where we sent, we, we send all of these teams to, uh, Kisikalio to your favorite place in the world. Um, <laughs> and we run the euros, the Pacific Asia championships, and the America's Challenge, and then turn around and host Worlds, since there, everyone would be able to live there on site, away from everyone, and bring all the curlers there, test them, make sure they're good to go, and then run everything simultaneously. I mean, we don't know. There's, a, I mean, some of the stuff they're talking about. I'm not sure if this has come up in the U.S., but in the U.K., one of the things they're talking about is the idea of an immunity passport. So. What this is, is that if you've had COVID and the antibodies, you find the antibodies in your bloodstream, they're hoping to have a test for this in the next couple of months. And so one thing they're discussing, so this is one thing they're seriously talking about in Europe, because Italy's also mentioned it, is you would then apply for this blood test. And if you're seen as being, if you've built up the immunity in your bloodstream to COVID, then you get a passport that lets you leave your house. But if you don't get sick, then you're not allowed to leave your house. And so what if half your team has this immunity passport, which lets you fly everywhere, and the other half doesn't, right? Oh my so God. You, have to, you have to re-pick your team based on people who survived COVID, uh, which is why I've said don't change your team until after quarantine ends. Another reason. So, um, yeah, I think we're, I think, I think this is just the first step in what's likely to be a pretty long process to, to unwind the impacts of this global shutdown with respect to curling, let alone anything else. It's really the, the first thing that you really try to wrap your head around is at least in when, when we're just talking about curling and specifically curling at the, the, the Beijing winter Olympics is what are the odds that that Olympic games gets postponed? They've already postponed the summer until 2021. And then you're looking at four months later, having another Olympic games. I, I, I'm beginning to think one as a Virginia tech football season ticket holder, I've already kind of started to come to terms with the fact that that season's probably not happening. We're not playing football in September. It's just, it's, it's not going to happen. Then you start looking further down the line, you know, I, I, I'm beginning to think the 2022 Olympics are at the very least going to get postponed. I think it's going to be close, right? So it's that 18 month timeline that the experts keep talking about. And that's, I think from February, I'm not quite sure. It's from, it's from when they've isolated the, yeah. the genetic sequence, but they're saying it's about 18 months to develop a vaccine and all that. But then you got to push it out to everybody. You have to pr- produce yes. the mass produce the vaccine and then mass administer the vaccine. 
Like yeah, that's, although that's I suspect a, I suspect uh, it won't be distributed equally. Not to be a cynic, but oh, absolutely not. Some, some people are going to get it ahead of others, and I don't think you and I are on that list, unfortunately, Ryan. But maybe Olympic <laughs> athletes are. So maybe you uh, just shoot up the athletes with uh, the vaccine, so they can go perform and entertain us while we're still waiting at home <laughs> for our vaccine. Oh God. <laughs> This is basically, this is like a dystopian science fiction novel living in now. It's like Gattaca or yeah. something, but with virus stuff. It's very strange. This is now a sci-fi podcast. <laughs> it's Star Trek and <laughs> pandemic dystopias. All right. Uh, so um, you talked about you might, uh, you might be, you might lose your hour of, of, outdoor exercise we are very fortunate that that we have a guest who can can help you get some indoor exercise um if you're if if you lose that hour of outdoor exercise yeah yeah it's a good segue ryan so today we're going to interview uh stephanie thompson who is uh a registered kinesiologist and personal trainer strength and fitness coach and she specializes in developing programs for curlers she's a competitive curler herself and uh, we had a pretty wide-ranging interview with her i learned a lot from it all right we are joined by stephanie thompson stephanie is the second on team with silky and they are staying together for the 2020 2021 season we do not have a team announcement here today on the podcast uh stephanie is also a registered kinesiologist and we'll get into what that means she's also a certified exercise professional and personal trainer um she has her own uh her own company empowered performance and you can find them at empoweredperformance.ca she's here to talk to us about strength and conditioning having an exercise program and how to uh how to how to tailor it to curling and do so even in uh even in today's uh you know what's going on now so uh stephanie thank you so much for joining us thank you i'm so excited yep so um, I guess we can just start uh, just talking about your background in curling. Can you just take us through just how you got into the sport um, and, and when you started really taking it seriously and making it more than a hobby? Yeah, um, I started curling in Little Rocks because my it's a family sport. So my parents, and my grandparents and most of my aunts and uncles curled. Um, but we didn't have Little Rocks. So it was just a junior program. But I was a very small child. So I don't even think I weighed the same amount that The Rock did. Um, and I hated it because no one wanted to play with me because I couldn't get The Rock over the hog line. So I was like, I gave it up for a couple years. But then my brother, my younger brother, did was doing really well through um, his junior career. And I was like, I have to be better than him. <laughs> so I took it back up. Um, and then as for when I started becoming more than just a hobby, it was pretty, pretty early. <laughs> like as soon as I came back to the curling world, I hopped on a competitive team. Um, we... I was the parachute team for an Oakville rink. So we, I lived in Peterborough, which is like a two and a half hour drive. So shout out to my parents for driving me there. Um, but yeah, uh, for the first few years of my curling career, like the first half almost, I hardly had any hit weight. I was like that, like that lead that got like the, the hack weight hit weight. So proud to say that I was competitive and still able to play at provincials and such, but I definitely prided myself in my ability to be a good teammate. And of course, uh, sweeping, super important. Um, and then since then, through um, a really good 
junior career, unfortunately had to play against the likes of Homan growing <laughs> up. So like you probably wouldn't have heard of my team because Homan got out every single year. Um, but we did really well. We won a couple of events, went to Switzerland um, for the TCAs um, and then went to university and had a really good university career. So when I was in high school, I, I was like a cardio bunny. I did yoga. I did all the sports. Um, and I credit my, my family and my upbringing for like days like now, like the COVID stuff, like sitting at home and having to be occupied. I don't know how to be bored. Like I, <laughs> I've tried most activities, most ho- uh, hobbies, like I can juggle. I like <laughs> tried oh, wow. to, I, one year I tried to learn how to ride a unicycle, like stupid stuff like that. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of hobbying. Um, but then I did, uh, break my foot in like grade 11 or grade 12. Um, and because I was all about like the long distance cardio stuff, I broke my foot and I couldn't do that anymore. Um, and I, I had a really good gym teacher that was like, come into the weight room. Like, well, resistance train and like strength train and teach all about that kind of stuff. So, uh, big into cross country. And, and when I came out of that broken foot, I was actually faster. And I was like, what? the heck like I I gained a little bit of weight and it was mostly muscle and it was mostly strength and I was actually faster because I was stronger so it was kind of like a mental shift for me I ended up going to western do you want my whole like background or like (laughs) I love talking this is so exciting we have time yeah (laughs) Uh, I ended up going to western I'm stuck at home I have nothing but time (laughs) (laughs) um I went ended up going to western I wanted to be a phys ed teacher because I was so inspired by all the teachers that I had growing up I was that, that weird kid that loved school, so, like, he was only natural. Um, went to Western University uh, in London, Ontario, and uh, got my kinesiology degree. And then went afterwards, went back home to Trent to get my Bachelor of Education. And it turns out I didn't actually really like being in a classroom. <laughs> so through all that, I ended up getting, my, guess, getting certified as a, a certified personal trainer. So basically, since I was a junior, I was, like, because I was the one that loved fitness and health, on my team, that would be my little role, like come up with a little program for you and your teammates, decide if we're going to run a triathlon this year or a obstacle course race or something. Um, so I've actually, I say a lot of that, the stuff that I teach now is based on all of my mistakes. Like, like being a cardio bunny was a mistake. Uh, foam rolling at before and after every event because I was in pain was a mistake. Um, And I learned as I went through my university career, basically everything I learned about the human body, biomechanics, anatomy, physiology, um, and then, of course, how to train. The way that I learned it was relating it back to curling. So I've got this, like, stupid mind that, like, someone says something. Not stupid. It's genius, of course. Someone says something. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I could relate that to curling. Like, I would learn how to do something in another sport. I'm like, hmm, interesting. Like, we could relate that to curling. Like, everything came back to curling for me. So when I decided not to be a teacher, <laughs> after getting my B.Ed., I ended up, I did a stint in Rocks and Rings. So like, you know, like the floor curling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah like the I, floor, know, right? I did a stint in that, which was in the schools, which like solidified me not wanting to be a, like an in the school teacher. <laughs> and then ended up getting um, a couple of teams wanting to work with me from my club. Um, and I designed their off-season program. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. I ended up being... I basically said, figured out how much I would make as an uh, occasional teacher in Ontario for a year and said, if I don't make that much money as a strength coach, I will become a, a, a teacher. Like if I can't make it work and I end up making that money and then every single year I made that money. <laughs> so like money's not the motivator, but it definitely helps you eat and curl and <laughs> live your life. Right. So uh, 
Yeah, the the first team that I trained ended up winning junior provincials that year. So I was like, huh, <laughs> I'm on to something. This is exciting. Um, but I totally believe that that the people that I do work with, whether they're the, on the competitive elite circuit or the, the recreational club circuit, it's like a deep in seated in like deep drive that makes them seek out more help. And I think that that's already there. And it's an in it attribute that like they're looking for the things that are going to like let them earn their edge. Um, so I definitely don't take credit for any of the teams that have won things before and after and during our training. But like, I think that it helps like we we can be a more rounded athlete um, and healthier and yeah, all that fun stuff. So I've been playing on my current team for five years now. I think we've had one player we've been cycling in and out for a variety of reasons. Um, and then one of my teammates, uh, Lauren with Silky, I've actually curled, I calculated it, uh, almost 13 years with her, which is oh, wow. exciting. So yeah, we played juniors together growing up. She left me to go move in with her boyfriend in Newfoundland. <laughs> she did a stint in Newfoundland, made it to the Scotties there, and then she came back and was like, realized her big mistake. So I'm so happy to have her back, <laughs> which is exciting. And yeah. So here we are today talking about fitness and curling and I'm so happy that this is like a career that I can do because I obviously love it and yeah, I feel like I've been training for this for years. So when you broke your foot um, and you came back and realized that the, you know, the resistance training, the strength training had actually made you faster um, in, in cross country, was that kind of the catalyst? Was that kind of the thing that clicked that made you think, okay, this is what I want to do with my life? I knew that I knew, no, I knew before then that I wanted to get into like physical education. I loved being active and moving. And I remember doing some like ridiculous high school activity where you had to like think of the way your day wanted to be. And like, how did you want to, did you want a desk job or did you want like a, to be in a lab somewhere or out in the field? And like, I knew that I didn't want to sit. Although if I could tell like 20 2010 Stephanie now that she'd be sitting a lot creating programs she'd probably be mad <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah the, the broken foot more showed me that there's more to fitness than just cardio and the okay. big mistake a lot of curlers have is that they don't know what kind of training they should be doing and the default is cardio because it is so important like it's it definitely can be down like a lot of people will either do it and they'll do it like marathon running or they won't do anything and I have gone back and forth where like I'll, I'll neglect cardio for a bit because I'm doing exercises that are working on muscular endurance, but you do need that cardio respiratory endurance. And if I talk too nerdy, just let me know, I'll break it down for you. <laughs> yeah. So, so what then do you think, just play, let's just start with like, what do you think a standard curler, whatever that is, someone who's, let's say club competitive, like not high performance, but just someone who's either wants to improve plays a couple of times a week or plays a few spiels a year. And it's like, I'd say kind of that club plus kind of tier curler who might want to think about incorporating fitness into their program during the off season. What, if it's not cardio, if it's not signing up for your local 10 K, then what do you think that kind of curler should be looking at doing? Like, so when I create programs, I'm not saying, Oh, are you an elite? Are you on the grand slam tour? Are you going to the worlds or are you in a club? The demands of the sport are the same. And there are some high elite curlers that are lazy. They don't train. They don't do anything extra other than curling. So, and like, I, 
I'm definitely not going to show like <laughs> shame anyone on here, but that's like, that's fine. But I feel like you can take the problem with curling is that it's not actually, you don't have to be super, super strong to generate a lot of hit weight. Right. But a lot of curlers are relatively weak for the demands of the sport. So most people, if you're asking what are, what could anybody do just to increase their game a little bit, if they aren't doing anything and they start to do something whether it's a boot camp or just doing general strength training or running a marathon, that's going to help increase their curling performance just to start. There's, there's lots of, there's not a lot of research in curling. So if anybody's listening and wants to join up, I'd love to do that. Uh, but golf has a lot of parallels to curling in that the same way they don't have to increase. You don't have to be super, super, super friggin' strong you just have to increase certain metrics a little bit and you'll see increases in performance. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like I'm, I know that when people talk to me, they think that I'm like walking around like a bodybuilder, only eating uh, chicken, rice and broccoli and drinking protein shakes and like never having alcohol. And if I want to be fit, then I have to get nine hours of sleep. Like that's not really what we're looking at here. It's can we make you a healthier individual? And for most people, that's going to help them improve their performance. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, you've got people that are training and they're going to get to a point where they're like, okay, I'm training and it's not increasing my performance. That's when I really get specific. So for actually a lot of the people that I work with, whether they're trying to get to the Olympics or just trying to win or win a couple games in their Sunday league, like we start with movement and we start with general preparation. Um, I did make some notes on like some specific things that people can do. And we can talk about that now. Or we can talk about the end, whatever works for you. Yeah, let's talk about it now. But the one, couple of things that I point, I, I jotted down just when people are looking at trying to, to put together their, their off season or what, what have you, they've got six months essentially, hopefully till the start of curling again. Um, like we want to, if you want to like, if you want to, maximize your time. It doesn't have to be anything super complicated. So things like working on improving the balance between the right and the left sides of your body. Mm. So if you always sweep on one side, you're actually going to have a twist in your spine. You're going to have one arm that might be bigger than the other. Um, you throw, you curl, you, you slide most people with their left leg bent and externally rotated. That hip and ankle and knee are going to have different ranges of motion than the other side so we can use the off season to try to to balance those out um, and there's exercises online i offer stuff a physio should be able to offer those kind of things um, and then of course if you have any like injuries or any kinks that you're worried about like it's really un it's really un uh, common for a curler to go through a season without something kind of popping up most people can kind of manage it um, but yeah like it's a perfect time to try to like especially at the beginning balance out what you're doing increase your cardio capacity so balance out the right and left side and then do some sort of cardio and that doesn't it could be golfing like being able to walk a course for four hours takes a lot of like muscular endurance right especially if you're carrying your clubs and you've got a beer in both hands like <laughs> <laughs> like whatever works for you right you got to keep it balanced you got two hands two bears um but then the other things that you can do is like actually because i know a lot of people don't have access to weights or the resistance bands on Amazon are all sold out. Um, they're not allowed to, like, they don't have a lot of space or they can't go outside and use the playgrounds anymore because we're afraid that kids are touching them. Um, but like being able to own certain movements. So I'll actually break down when I'm working with people, what movements do you need to be able to do and own in the curling delivery? And when I say own, I mean no pain and be able to sit there for a little bit. 
Like, I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. demoed a curling delivery and had to squat down in the hack. Some people can't sit there for very long, which makes me think they don't own that position. The muscles aren't prepared to support your spinal, like your spine and your skeletal system in that position. Um, so yeah, a couple things, the way that I actually break it down, I try to be nice and simple and I break the movements down into upper and lower body pushing and pulling motions. So if you're sitting at home and all you have is your curling broom or a bag of books, um, even if you have a couple of bands, you can do things for lower body pushing that are like squats. So even if you don't have any weights, you can sit down into a squat and try to own that position. Split squats, not the same as like a a curling delivery, but there's similarities, especially when you're trying to balance it the right and the left sides. And then the step-ups get that kick out of the hack. So most of my programs hold all of these pieces in there at some point because they're all important. Um, And then something that's really important I find is that we don't just decide to train as we actually do like performance gap analysis. So even if yourself, you're like, what normally hurts? That's a good question to ask. Okay, how do I fix that problem? Because it's not likely if my knee hurts, my knee's not the problem. It's all the surrounding muscles around it that are probably the issue. And you need to figure that out, right? Um, Back to the motions, you've got lower body pulling. So deadlift, so picking things up, okay? Um, And then hamstring curls with a towel. So you can just lie on your back, put your heels on a towel, lift your hips, and then slide your heels in and out. That gets the hamstrings, the muscles on the back of your thighs. Now, the interesting piece is we don't, curl in a squat or a deadlift position mm-hmm. right like you don't do you know what i mean when i say a squat yeah. you like sit down in a chair and stand up that's not transferring onto the yeah. legs okay a typical deadlift where your legs are straight you send your hips back and you stand up that's not curling either so there's a motion that in if if you google it so anyone listening that's like oh i want to know what this is a suitcase deadlift or a trap bar deadlift gives you that motion where you're getting into that almost hack position, which is super interesting. So I find a lot of Hmm. people get stuck and they're like, I want to train. So they do bodybuilding. So they squat, deadlift, bench, or they do, uh, sorry, powerlifting, or they do bodybuilding, which is like biceps, triceps, chest, uh, legs, right? And they, they, they put them into certain pieces, but we have to think of the motions that the curler has to do. Right. It's important for me to have strong biceps and quads and hamstrings. And at a certain part in your training, that is appropriate. But a lot of the time you're missing out on the motions. That's why a lot of people do a program and they're still sore. I remember watching, um, I think it was before they made the, they won the Olympics, Brad Jacobs team one year, because they were coming in as like super fit. Mm -hmm. Right. And we saw them in Oakville, which is like the first or second weekend of curling. And I, like, they're going on the side, the, the backboards, and they're stretching, and they're foam rolling. This is, like, five or six years ago, okay? So, like, I know that I feel like they've probably fixed their training since then. But they trained really hard, and yet they still start, got on the ice that first few games and were still sore. Like, you're missing something, right? Yeah. So, so back to, sorry, so this is how I, this is how I live my life. I tangent. I hope you guys are. <laughs> no, it makes total sense. Yeah. So, so it's also just the, the mobility too, right? If they're doing a lot of bodybuilding stuff, it's taking away some of the mobility they need also to play the game, right? Yeah. Um, so hold on, I'll get to mobility. We've got upper body pushing. So push ups, chest press, whatever, mm-hmm. upper body pulling chin ups and rows. Okay. So being able to do, to do things with your legs and do things with your arms, both pushing and pulling. When it comes to mobility and stability, most people actually, you're very smart. I like this. Unless you've been following my stuff. Most people think they need more flexibility. Do you know the difference? 
No, I don't. I don't. Jonathan might, but I don't. Explain it. Yeah, yeah, explain it for our. our I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't. So, so, so people think they need to get lower in the slide, right? All the dudes have their chin on the ice. And they need to get lower and lower and lower. When in reality, it's not the flexibility. So flexibility is the length that your muscle can get, right? So you stretch a muscle. You're working on flexibility, essentially. Mobility is the range of motion around a joint, which could be influenced by flexibility of the muscle. But for mm-hmm. most people, the range of motion of their femur bone, that big bone in your leg, around your pelvis, that, that's range of motion. So if people say they have tight hips, yes, the muscles might be tight, but they also have no range of motion. And that's what's actually more problematic. So they can't ex- open up their hip into that slide position. And that exposes them to problems in the knee, the ankle, the low back, etc. Right. So then, so then where I went wrong way back in the day is I wanted to be more flexible because I curled. Oh, you know, Lisa Farnell, right? One of you does. Yep. So I do. I, yeah, I play with her. She's I a mixed doubles up. partner. Oh so. my God. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I hope she hears this. It's so exciting. I actually yeah. grew up curling against her and her dad coached me and then I worked with him um, at Trent. So anyways, oh, okay. well, yeah, small world. So she yeah. curls yeah. and she gets so low on the ice. Right. Very low. So Super low, low. So low. So when I was growing up, I was like, I want to be like Lisa. She's an amazing curler. I want to get lower to the ice. So I just do yoga for hours on end. But here's the thing. So some people have natural like flexibility and mobility, especially women. We get very lax in the hips, which just means we're, you know, we drop down low into the delivery. Um, and when we're young, if you start curling, you have that ability to stay low. Where people get have an issue is that they're focusing so much on flexibility that they forget about stability. So mobility and st- stability, so the strength of the, jo- the muscles around the joint, um, they go hand in hand and they work together. You can be, a lot of people who are hypermobile, so think of if you, if you straighten your arm right out in front of you, some people's elbow, and you do palm up, some people's elbow is higher than their wrist. You know what I'm talking about when oh, they're yeah. hypermobile like that? Or they stand up and their knees are bent behind them almost. They can lock it. Yeah. So oh, yeah. that's that can cause a lot of tightness. So just because someone feels tightness doesn't actually mean that what they're needing is to stretch. Interesting. Right? Right? So yeah. what so what the tightness is telling your body that is A, okay, so let's say you just did a big workout. That tightness is because you worked the area. But let's say you're just naturally like some people have really tight hamstrings all the time. And the reason is because they're, the hamstrings help to protect a whole whack load of, of, of pieces of your body, your knee, your hip, okay? And because they cross at the knee and the hip, um, they're tight because you lack the strength and the stability. So when people go, have really tight hamstrings, oftentimes their hamstrings are weak. So their body makes up for the lack of strength with tightness. So tell me this, if you have tight hamstrings and the only thing you do is stretch, are you solving the problem or not? No. Well, probably not. Right? So it should be, yeah. You're no. not solving the problem. You're actually, you're just, it feels good because you're down-regulating the nervous system. You're, the nervous, you're stretching, there's a stretch reflex that tells the brain to relax. So it'll relax that tightness. But if you're, if you're always have ham, two hamstrings tight, it's not going to get any better. You're not addressing the problem. Now where people, I understand, I actually tore both my hamstrings like, in university. Like at the same time? Right before a Western tryout, which is, I forgot oh, about no. that. Oh yeah. <laughs> at the same time, one was worse than the other. 
Yeah, it was, uh, I was, I, it, I, Western, you do sports for marks, right? So I had in the morning, I had tennis. And then for some reason, after tennis, I did a deadlift session with someone. And then that night I had track and field. So we're doing 100 meter sprints. And in the mid 100 meter sprints, I was like, oh no, <laughs> it's not good. Um, but where I, where I, I was on the right track because I was strength training, but I wasn't doing it in the right way. Okay, so, so anyway, so long story short, people get caught up in thinking that they need to stretch because they're tight. Now, if you have the, an appropriate trainer or physio or kinesiologist, they can help you figure out if that tightness is, is, is why that tightness is there. So a lot of the time, the pain isn't where the problem is. Right? Yeah, for sure. The, you you kind of mentioned earlier that, that foam rolling like isn't the answer. Why is that? So, uh, what would you, what would you typically foam roll? My IT band. Your yeah. IT band. Okay. Hamstring. Just light. Hip flexor. Yeah. For me, it's the IT band. It's basically the IT band and the adductor went light up on my, uh, right. sliding leg. Right? right. So it's getting the pain out there. Yeah. So my understanding, so I don't, don't take me my word exactly for it, but my understanding is that there's no like science-based, evidence-based research supporting the use of foam rolling in terms of changing how the tissue is, is aligned. So if you go to an mm. RMT or another healthcare practitioner that can actually give you a massage, they can help to break out. Like we think that we're foam rolling, we're breaking down scar tissue. We, we're not adding the right force in the right position, in the, sorry, in the right direction to actually do that. So on one end, I, I still foam roll and I do something called trigger point, but it's not as long as it's not your only thing. So if you notice, so for example, you already pointed out one of your own performance gaps, right? Inner, your, your groin mm -hmm. and your inner thigh or your hip flexor and your hamstring, those need to be figured out. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that those are weak, but they're likely doing too much work. So when it comes to foam rolling, I see people, so their IT band, let's go back to stability for a second. We roll our, we foam roll our IT band before and after curling because it's super tight. Remember I said that it's something is lacking strength and stability at the hip or the knee joint. And that's mm. why, so your IT band, which is if you take a piece of chicken with that has the skin on it and you pull that skin, like you buy a whole chicken and you pull the skin off of it, there's that little film between the meat, like the yummy stuff and the, the skin. Sorry, you might think the skin's the yummy stuff, whatever. The skin and the meat. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me, yes. <laughs> that, that little film in there is called fascia. And our body is basically wrapped with this fascia. It's almost like all our muscles are wrapped with this like saran wrap of supportive tissue. But it doesn't create force. It, it just holds everything together. So on your thighs, you've got your quads and your hamstrings and then your inner thighs, like your adductors and the muscles and your glutes. And they're all wrapped up with this like saran wrap fascia. So when you lack strength in any of those structures, the IT band gets tight because it doesn't want mm -hmm. you to blow your knee or pop your hip bone out. Does that make sense? Yep. Did you did you expect this to get super sciencey? I'm a giant nerd. <laughs> I did not. Expect, no, this is awesome. I did not expect. I did. I did not expect to go back to biology class, but this is actually yeah. Great. So so a lot of what I do is just educating people on, and like okay, foam rolling and stretching feels good, so do it. But also make sure you're doing the things to solve the problem, right? 
and curling is a very asymmetrical sport. So like a lot of, a lot of that has to do with, you know, one side is going to yeah. be stronger than oh, the yeah. other and then the, the other side's going to compensate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The it's, and it's, and that's just how it is. So you really have to just pe- like train appropriately for the demands, which is one mm-hmm. side. We do a lot of, I do a lot of unilateral work, which is one side of the body. So as I said, split squats or a lunge, what might people most might envision or one arm uh, rows or, um, I was going to say one arm push-ups. I definitely don't do that, <laughs> but it, it is a lot of unilateral stuff. Your body has to learn how to use one side of the body. One more thing about the foam rolling though, what happens is your, t- so if you think of your nervous system as like having like a, a volume dial, we turn the nervous system up. Think of when you're about to go for an, like to, to, for, to curl, you're going to be in an event. So you're all fired up and pumped up and you're ready to go. And then on the other end of that dial it is like bedtime, sleepy time, like nap time, right? So when our body is tight like that, it feels good to stretch and foam roll because what we're doing is actually turning down the nervous system. So here's my biggest problem. You want to foam roll before a curling game? That's awesome. But you just turned the nervous system down. So you're going to have to do things afterwards to activate and turn the dial back up. Right? Hmm. So most people, yeah. most people warm up and then foam roll. I'm like, twist it foam roll or, or, or do it in like, kind of like in threes. If you really have to foam roll, like I'm not, I hope I'm not against it. I just, just like it has hmm. you have to use it smart, right? Like you're not just going to blindly yeah. foam roll your way through. So this is our podcast all about foam rolling. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I think your original question was what can you said the average club or competitive curler train, like what can you kind of do to train? Um, so yeah. this time we don't have, a, I want to be like, I want to be, um, realistic. Like some people can't leave their house. Some people can't order things online. They can't afford it or what have you. So working on improving the balance between the right and the left side, honestly, single arm and single leg stuff is actually harder than doing them together because it's one side of your body lifting something. Right. So if you don't have a lot of weight, single arm, single leg is, is almost better for you own the movement. So you've got the lower body and the upper body push and pull increase your cardio so at this point in the off season we actually i phase it so at this point in the off season you're really just trying to be able to do a lot of things so be able to go for a long walk or a long run or a long bike ride or do an hour of dancing or something (laughs) whatever you can do with your circumstance Um, but then what i've been paying attention to the last few years actually is making sure that you're mastering your recovery and your mindset so when do you get stronger while you're lifting the weights or after when are you getting stronger i'm gonna say after okay why uh because that because you're oh i i failed biology um (laughs) you're right you're right though i just want to know if you (laughs) the the problem is it sounded like a trick question but i I know it's 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 also like why i did so bad at algebra like i get the answer but i couldn't tell them why i got okay so you're right right? You, you don't get stronger during the workout you get stronger after. And I'm just curious if you could guess why. Because it breaks what it it breaks down the muscle and then the muscle has 100%. to rebuild something. Yeah, hundred like percent. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like what we're doing is we're <laughs> causing a stressor on the body. You're stressing out the systems, your cardio system, your muscular system, your physio- physiological system, um, etc. So we're causing stress on that the body. The ideal situation, so basically you cause the stress, then you stop exercising and your body goes, I didn't like that. I need to get stronger so that when that same stress happens again, I'll be able to handle it. That makes sense? 
that's how we get that progressive overload, that slow adaptation over time. So people actually, I find another big mistake I made growing up was I either did a summer of going 100%. So the summer that I tore my ham, the, the September I tore my hamstrings was one of those summers. I did everything. I was like, I'm going to be the best lift, uh, power lifter. I'm going to be the best runner. Like, it's going to be great. So I never really took I, my, I lacked the recovery side of things. So then the next year, because I'm still, hamstring tears last for a long time when you, when you do them good. So because I was afraid of hurting myself again, instead of going 100%, like pedal to the metal, I did medium. So like I did medium workouts, medium cardio, medium volume. But I didn't, so both of those, because I got injured with 100% and I didn't improve. And when I, and when I did medium, I didn't improve a lot because I never actually pushed myself. I never stressed anything out. So I was mistaken at both ends. And then the other end of the spectrum is some people just don't try at all. <laughs> so what I like hmm. to do is actually you phase your training. So you have a, a couple of weeks where you're like going really hard, okay, really focused, and then you give yourself a week to rest. And like, I'm not saying sit in Netflix and chill for the, the week, but like you want to push, 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 give yourself time to recover. So you're always trying to pushing that stress piece to the point that you're not going to break, like hop, fall off the edge so that your body has time to recover from it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so big piece that I pay attention to now has been how to maximize your recovery. Okay. So that you're getting the most out of the training because you're not, the more you train, if you train more, that's not when you're, you're adapting to that stress, right? You need to have that that stress, rest, stress, rest. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is unique for curlers because curlers will compete in like a week-long tournament where they have to play twice a day and sometimes three times. So we have to find a way to, to simulate that stressor in the off-season. Um, but things like focusing on your – like if people are sitting at home going, what can I do? Learn how to breathe properly. Um, learn how to journal and like become more – aware of your thoughts and your feelings and the mindset and your beliefs around things. Um, and then do some focusing exercises. So like, even if you can't even work out right now, like say you have some, you have any of the sicknesses that are going around, like, say you have that, you could still do mm. some focusing exercises. Definitely don't want to speak to someone's experience for, <laughs> for that. But yeah, like there's different things. The training isn't all, and this is the, this is how training's adapting over the years. Training isn't all about training. It's about how we recover as well. Um, big thing I find with teams is that the teams that work with me through the summer, when they hit September, they already know each other. They know how to, especially if they're new, they know how their team dynamics is going to work. They know how to problem solve, help each other get through obstacles. Like following a training program, yeah, it can make you stronger, but it can make your team stronger, right? It can make your mind stronger. The hardest part is getting off of the freaking couch. I was about to ask that. Like what the... <laughs> you know, the, the psychology around getting started, like how, how tough is that for people? And is that, is that something that you have to deal with a lot with the people that you that you work with? Huge, huge. Uh, my, my biggest struggle actually is getting people to change their mindset around what training is okay. and how it can help them because curlers, like they have this identity and I'm not going to speak for everyone, but they're like curlers party. We, we stay up late. We drink after games. It's the social atmosphere, right? Like they are, that's, that's kind of the, you were, 
Am yeah. I right? You were, clear, you were, you were clearly on the uh, virtual broom stacking last night. Oh, no, I wasn't. No. <laughs> but, so here's my question. Why can't people think that you can't be health, like you can't do things to be to better your health and fitness and also still have a beer and party with your friends and whatever? Like you've got, why can't we do both? <laughs> my biggest problem is convincing mm-hmm. the old men at my curling clubs to warm up or stretch before and after a game. It's, there's nothing that motivates me more when someone's like, oh, I wish I could do that. And they're like 50 years old. And I'm like, well, this is why I'm going to keep doing it, mister, because I don't want to end up like you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I was at a boss last year. Yeah. This is a, this is a boss last year. It was hilarious to me. Like all the 20 somethings were foam rolling, Mm. doing pregame warmups. And then the 40 somethings like me, they were just like, eh. (laughs) <laughs> I'll just go out and slide cold. But I was like, this picture is completely backwards, right? That yeah. you know, for me, I get the more I need to warm up before a game. But there definitely is an old old school mentality that's 100%. like, I'm not I'm not going to even bother warming up. <laughs> that's that's for sure. It's and it's. I mean, I have so what I how I offset that is I have like your maxes and the minimums of things I need you to do. So if you're like, I don't want to stretch at all. Like, I can't sit and stretch for 20 minutes after work. I don't have time for that. I say, we'll do two stretches. Two stretches, 30 seconds aside. Like, you can do that while you're texting your friend. Like, I know you're going to sit there and text anyways, right? Before a curling game, like, I've shown up late to games before. And if you hide in the change room and do, like, one minute of a warm-up, at least when you step on the ice, you're not using the first few rocks as a warm-up. I'd rather miss two rocks and warm up then show up and, and waste time trying to warm up during my two shots. But I mean, that's just me. That's like, it's, it's interesting. So to answer your question, yeah, that's the hardest part is to convince curlers. And you know what? What I train with a lot of juniors, the parents are the worst. The parents that have, that have curled for years because they're like, well, I didn't need to work out in the summer. Why does my kid need to work out? You need like to just like, like think about the sport. Like you want people to think that curlers, people get offended. They're like, curling's not a sport. And then people get offended. But if you don't do any work, I see why we, they think we're lazy. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's it's a whole thing. So, so back to your question, <laughs> how to, to motivate, like people have a lot of struggles with like motivation, um, mm-hmm. motivation. The problem almost is that they don't know what to do. So either on one end of the spectrum, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I can't do anything, which is fair. Cause like, you can't just figure it out. So my answer to that person is do something like, what do you know how to do? Do you know how to walk? Right. Um, do you have access to internet and, co- and can Google? There's a cool website called do yoga with They have mindfulness activities that are breathing and yoga and stretching. They have some exercises and stuff in there too. Like there's, there are free things out there. Um, the biggest thing is to start. So on that end, people are like, I don't have motivation on that end. Like, actually, that's not motivation. My question to you. So, so Ryan and John, why do you love curling? So if, if I was to work with someone, I'd start with, why do you love curling? The social aspect. Okay. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think, yeah, the, the, not just like the drinking part, but like just the fact that I've moved around a lot and everywhere I've moved, if I can join a curling club, I make a friend, a new group of friends very mm-hmm. easily. Yeah. And that's, that's me the biggest part of it. The community, right? The community yeah. part of it, for sure. So, yeah. So if you were to get hurt 
and not be able to curl, how would that affect you? I would probably still show up to the warm room. Okay, so let's say let's say you're curling. You're curling. What's something that you like? Let's be vulnerable here for a moment. What's something that you're struggling with in curling? Right now. Yeah, on the ice. Like if you <laughs> in turn, out turn, balance, hitting the broom, comfort. Uh, my draw weight fell apart second half of the season. So like weight control. Weight yeah, control. Weight yeah. Control. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Weight room and then. Or, sorry. Oh, control. <laughs> weight control. I've been at home too long. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm like the gym. <laughs> Do you think the weights miss me too, guys? I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They might. <laughs> okay, so weight control. Why don't you have weight control? Who am I talking to right now? I'm not very good with voices. It's John right now. Okay. I mean, if you want to get so, uh, we did a delivery. It's a long story, but it, we we basically we brought in a coach late season, and we he tore my delivery apart and rebuilt it. We got in a fantastic coach, mm. and, and uh, so that was great. But then I've basically learned how to throw draw weight one way for 30 years and I've got a very different delivery now and the way I kind of compare it is all of a sudden I've been driving a Ford Focus and all of a sudden you give me the keys to a sports car and it's like whoa what the hell's this right so it's I kick out of the hack and it just feels a lot slower than it actually is like I have a lot more power because I went up in top but it's it's learning that getting the touch back that's um as my skip describes he says I'm a wizard by which he means the delivery looked weird, but you somehow managed to get it there. Like I've kind of learned over the year. I'm kind of the ki- I, I am the king of the mid slide correction, which I'm like, don't do this at home, kids. But if you have got a new delivery, a lot of those tricks aren't working. So yeah. yeah. So they've revamped your delivery, and it's better now. Like it looks oh, yeah. better. Yeah. What was the struggle before? Like why did they change it? Um. It's so, I mean, you probably know the coach. So it's Andy Broder, who's based out of Ottawa, was the one who, so he's, I mean, it's kind of like, I just, this is the first time I've worked with a coach as yeah. a coach for a season. And it's, it's, it's very different than the, my previous experience of going to a camp. Someone gives you a tweak and you're layering tweak on top of tweak, but you know, different coaches have different theories. Mm-hmm. And so just taking one person's system and applying it consistently has been, um, like really revealing, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, so so the, the way he taught me is. So the, the the one big the big the big message he gave me was basically simplifying a lot of wasted motion and then really creating tension during the pullback and drive phase. Like he, okay. his line to me is the delivery actually should be uncomfortable, yeah. especially during the power phase. Interesting. So, but what's yeah. your biggest struggle in terms of like locking that down and gaining uh, that comfort? It's it's more just like reprogramming the muscle memory, right? Because yeah. there's one way I've done. It. I've got to rethink through, you know, before I would just get in the hack, I'd have my pre-shot routine and go. But now I'm like, oh, I've got to think about uh, keeping both my elbows locked. Create mm-hmm. A lot of this is creating tension, right? Making mm-hmm. sure I'm really cranking the handle, um, mm-hmm. like a, a lot of stuff like that. And then uh, he, the, one of the big faults he caught is that I was, I was opening my sliding foot on the pullback and that's opening my hips and throwing me mm-hmm. offline. So really keeping that foot straight forward and back kind gotcha. of thing. So, so where do you use yeah. a couple times was tension? Um, and it's yeah. super common, like a lot of people, so people listening, a lot of the time when we get to like, get it to the higher levels, you've been curling for longer, the little tweaks are really, really small, right? So for you, it sounds yeah. like trying to find that ability to hold tension. So if you 
John, were stronger, would you have to put as much effort in to apply the same amount of tension? Probably not. Right. No. So, so figuring out where, what parts of the body you need to, to gain that strength in terms of that tension, you won't have to feel like, like, and I'm, I don't know why I have this image, but like, you know, when people like are like, they're like really straining, like that's the like face I'm giving you when I'm like imagining you trying to throw right now. But a lot, like, you don't want to look like you're like, you know, like about to squeak at a little toot while you're throwing, right? You want to be, <laughs> you want to, yeah. you want to be nice and relaxed and controlled. So it's like a, <laughs> I was like a natural. You said that, and now there's a, now there's coffee everywhere. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, like, so basically for you, I would find, I'm, I'm, what I do with people is I'm trying to figure out how we can use the off season to their, to their advantage. So for you, it wasn't like some, so let's say some people have their biggest struggles are balance. So I notice a lot of the issues that people have is their balance. They can't hit the broom. They can't generate hit weight. Um, or they have body pain somewhere. A lot of the time it comes down from the muscles that they have to like the stability and mobility that we talked about in that position. So for you, you're at the point where you have the position, it's holding the tension. And what I liked that you said, actually, you mentioned that you need to keep the broom in your elbow in and your broom in tight. Do you ever yeah. think about strength in your upper body helping your curling delivery? Uh, I've only thought about it for sweeping. Yeah, huge. So Until now, yeah. A lot of people forget that like, our upper body is not just like a limp noodle while we're throwing a rock. Like it still has, to use your words, tension that needs to be held to hold a position. I get the same way my upper body gets all like loosey-goosey when I throw. So I mm -hmm. also have to kind of bring things in. So if we think of when I work with people, I try to teach them about core training, not just like your six pack that you're trying to create, but core training and like your trunk. So the trunk of your body is basically everything but your limbs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, the health and fitness world is shifting. People stopped thinking about your core training as just your six pack abs. They know there's obliques. There's, they know there's a big muscle that goes across the front. They know there's back muscles involved, but it, what we need to think of, especially when we're looking at sport and curling is that your lower body isn't working in isolation and your core isn't working in isolation. So you have actually a muscle in your back called your latissimus dorsi. Do we know what that is? Your lats, the big back. Lats. Muscles. Yeah. I was about to say, I was about to say, I've heard the term. Okay. So <laughs> if people were to go to go right now and Google the lats, they'll see that they're actually way bigger than people think. So they think it's that lat pull down, like that lat pull down machine, their arms are up uh, over their head. So they, the arms go straight up and then the arms come down. They think it's just for the muscles at the back of the shoulders, but there's actually a muscle that goes all the way down to like the top of your pelvis. And that muscle helps you keep your chest up or however you keeps your upper body tense while you're throwing the delivery. Okay. So there's some people that are like fully forward and they're, they're leading with the top of their head. And then there's some people that are leading with their chest, right? So we use that muscle to help our posture, however we want it to be, but we also use that muscle to help keep our arms in tight to our body. So being able to do muscles for your lats, or sorry, being able to do exercises for your lats will help your curling delivery. Okay. That makes sense. That, makes that sense? does make sense. So, so, yeah. so when yeah. you're based on what you're telling me, you need, you, you need, like everyone needs practice. Like nothing takes away from practice, but the off season is perfect because you can build up that strength capacity, that ability to create tension without, with less effort, um, help their mobility stability in the off season so that when they step on the ice and they do change things up, they have that capability and they can own the movement, own the position. Right. 
Yeah, it makes sense. So I do want to I do, I do want to kind of um, bring it back to 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 what you do and um, how basically how people can get in touch with you and how they can um, how they how they can utilize what you do to make them better curlers. And I also before we get out of here, I want to give I want I want to give people at least one thing that they can do um, to kind of in, improve their performance here. Um, uh, during the during the off season and while we're all stuck at home, so the, the the first thing is that. And when I do learn to curls, you know, obviously the most um, the most common thing I hear about the curling delivery is I'm not flexible enough mm-hmm. um, to get into the the curling delivery. Mm-hmm. But as you said earlier, it's not really no. flexibility; it's mobility. Mm-hmm. So, what is one thing that new curlers can do at home to improve that mobility that will allow them to get down into that lunge position that we talk about when uh, when we teach them a curling delivery? Uh, one thing that they can do be to okay. So, if you it was your very like because I run rentals as well. So, if it's your very first um, time curling. And like, say you're going to do a league and keep playing and you're liking it. You want to improve. I basically would have Mm -hmm. people try like to, to work on owning that position. So, so I know that when we do rentals, it's not ideal because it's usually like 30 people and there's like one or two instructors. So it's hard to help people actually know how their body moves. Um, It takes a lot of athletic literacy. So an understanding of how your body works and how, like when we're doing um, sports, like how to get into certain positions. You'll notice some people that are like hockey players can like, if you tell them to do something with their leg, Mm -hmm. they're going to do it. Whereas someone who's a desk jockey might be like, what do you mean raise my leg? What does that mean? Like they can't do like, they don't understand. So most of it for me, most people, so if you're a very first curler, I would actually just get into the curling position and not worry so much about getting down really low, finding a position of balance, because you'll notice you Mm -hmm. do look at the, at the curling um, circuit and people have slightly different deliveries. Like you've got, um, like you've got the, some of the dudes that are like, their hip flexors are just like totally turned off, like not even working. And they're just like in basically the splits, right? Their chin's touching the ice, like it's beautiful. And then there's other people that are kind of like stuck up a little bit higher and they can't get any lower. So like you can curl and as long as you hit the broom and get the weight and throw a good rock, like nobody gives a crap what you look like. Um, but they, if, what I would do is have them just actually hold the position um, and, and, and tweak how that foot is, how the back leg is, forwards, backwards, turn it in, turn it out, turn the toe, turn the foot. Um, see if you can find a position where you can actually hold it. Yep. Does that make sense? Like, so, so if uh, we make people do yep. it on the backboards, right, getting in that exactly. side position, do that at home. Mm-hmm. And then to balance it, the system, do it on both sides. That makes a lot of sense, <laughs> because, actually. Because I have, yeah, I have people yeah. do it on both sides because if you're, a, if you want to run, okay. So I work with a, a group that always wants to test the beep test for their curlers. And I fight with them every year because mm-hmm. I'm like, they have one side of their body that opens up and they're exposing themselves to injury. And every single year they're like, well, we have to do it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm watching these people, poor people, one side of their body's opened up and their knees caving in. And I'm like, eh, <laughs> this hurts me. Um, but yeah, so a first year curler own the position. Now an exercise that would help you with that would be a split squat. So there's lunges, which people norm- which people normally think of when they think of a split squat. So if I was standing up and I step forward with one foot and then bend both knees and then step forward or step back, that's a lunge. Okay. A split squat is where your feet stay in one spot and your body goes up and down. 
Okay, so what you would be doing in that position um, in terms of a split squat is learning how to get flexibility and mobility in the back leg and also gain strength in the front leg. Right. So uh, if someone was like, okay, I want to do I only have time for two exercises all summer and I want to get better at curling, do the split squat. So you can go on my um, empoweredperformance.ca. I've got all my resources, all my videos up there. Some of them you can't access because you have to be an EPVIP athlete, but like some, most of the basic ones are out, are available. So if you search split squat, you'll find it. Um, and it's going to help you get that mobility that you need and that stability because it's a strength move. So then you can, you can regress it, which means make it easier. And you can just hold the position either at the top or the bottom. Um, you can progress it by slowing down the tempo as you go down adding a weight, like, I don't know, use a dog, like <laughs> grab, a, grab a giant <laughs> bottle of wine, like <laughs> hold something that has some weight. Um, bands make things have a little bit more resistance, etc. Um, so yeah, split squats, that would be one in terms of how to how to help you own the delivery position. Now, it's not going to have a direct transfer, but you're getting to be comfortable on one leg with the one leg forward and one leg back. Now you're getting comfortable in a very similar position. So if you did that as your strength, and then later you did hold the delivery position and experiment with how to experiment with how to find a good balance point, those two will complement each other. The second exercise you could try, because um, that would be your lower body. The second exercise would be a push-up, or I uh, maybe would, do I want that to be the main one? Yes, I want that to be the main one. A push-up. So what I don't want people to do though is to have their knees on the ground. First of all, if anyone ever calls it a girl push-up, I will punch them in the face. It's not a girl push-up. I've seen plenty of dudes do it as well. Um, so if you're in a push-up position, so imagine your feet are on the ground and your hands are on the ground. If you cannot lower yourself down into a push-up and up while keeping the body nice and stiff as a board, you need to raise your hands. So don't put your knees down. Raise your hands. So when we're trying to – we haven't talked much about sweeping, but when we're sweeping, we're trying to mm – -hmm. We're essentially yep. in a kind of in a push-up position, right? They want your back, air quote, flat. And they want your feet, air quote, outside your hip line. So if you're in a push-up position, your feet are outside your hip line and your back is flat. But if you cannot own the position in on the ground, you need to raise your arms. And what that does is it teaches your core how to stay stiff and it coordinates that upper and lower body. Because you're, if you'll notice, if you do the push up and you just totally go limp in the lower body, how much harder it is to do a push up. Whereas if you like clench your butt cheeks, squeeze your legs together, push through your feet, it's so much easier to keep that body nice and tight. So in terms of transfer to curling, in with your sweeping, you get to be more comfortable in that position where your feet are outside your hip line, and your shoulders are over your your hands, right? Which is where the broom would be. Not saying obviously that go do a push-up as you go down the ice. I don't definitely don't think that's efficient, <laughs> but it has that transfer. Mm -hmm. So the two exercises would be a split squat and a push-up. And I could go on for hours, all the other things. I mentioned pulling exercises, figure out those tight hamstrings, but those two are going to kind of complement the whole body. Um, and then other side of that is if you're going into a push-up and you're doing it properly, you need to be able to use the backside of your body to lower yourself down. So what I mean by that is if you're doing a bicep curl, when you contract the bicep and mm -hmm. bring the hand up towards your shoulder, you've just shortened the muscle, right? And then when you straighten your arm, that bicep is still 
on, it's still contracted. The muscle in the back, your mm -hmm. tricep is actually, if you feel it in the weight's heavy enough, you'll feel that tricep actually working. So the body works on the front side and the back side, and they help each other out depending if the muscle's contracting or relaxing. So when you're doing a push up, you can also work the back muscles if you pay attention to the back muscles as you lower. Yeah, and obviously we want people to go to your website and partner with you in order to get all of the, the exercises that helps, right? <laughs> yeah. When I first started, when I first started, I can't remember if it was a family member or a friend and they were like, stop putting things online for free. And I'm like, I am not worried. I can give you all of the, so if I give you the ingredients to make cinnamon buns or something, but I don't tell you what the recipe is, you A, might be able to figure it out based on your own experience of cooking and baking, but you need me to put the recipe together and to tell you what order to put things into the bowl and okay. to tell you how hot to cook it at <laughs> and how long to wait and rest between taking it out of the oven and uh, eating it. We just had cinnamon buns for breakfast. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. so if anyone's worried about me. <laughs> so you are a registered kinesiologist. Can you just kind of explain real quick um, what that what that means and kind of the difference between that and maybe some other certifications that are out there when people are looking for someone to, to, to partner with um, if they want help with their with their training? A kinesiologist is registered in Ontario. So all other provinces, they're not registered as far as I know, um, but there are associations with them. So essentially, our scope of practice is the assess, it's long and boring, the assessment of human movement and performance, and it's rehab and management to maintain rehab or enhancement of rehab and performance. So, <laughs> so None of that was a definition. I don't understand why that's our scope of practice because it doesn't make any sense. Basically, it's a discipline aimed at improving health and general wellness. So if you look at uh, your typical health regulated healthcare practitioners, you've got registered physiotherapist, um, registered chiropractic, uh, registered massage therapist, occupational therapist, osteopaths, et cetera. Like there's, they're regulated basically is protecting the public. So the big difference between a kinesiologist and a personal trainer is that we are reg regulated by the Ontario Ministry of Health and the government. So every single thing that I say and do, I have to make sure that it's ethically sound and evidence-based. So I'm not allowed to just be like, oh, like I really liked that like brand of ketchup. It made my muscles really think you should use it. It has to have brand of ketchup. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I have to have evidence to back everything that I do or at least point out that there isn't any evidence. As I said, when I talked about the foam rolling, right? I'm like, as far as I know, there's no evidence based basis, no evidence supporting the use of foam rolling in terms of changing your tissue and like doing the things that people think that it would do. So what I do as a kinesiologist is I, my job is actually quite similar to like a physio where I do work on, there's two ends of the spectrum. I have a, it's a very broad scope of practice. So on one end of the spectrum, I can work in a clinic um, and I can help if someone comes to me with an injury, I can help them uh, figure out what that injury is and provide my clinical impression. So the difference between me and a physio, aside from a couple of things is that I cannot diagnose you with an injury. Now I can assess your movement and help you based on your movement patterns and what I'm seeing. So as I said, a lot of the time, the problem isn't where the pain is. The problem is something else. So what a, a good physio and a good any practitioner is going to figure out, okay, this is the diagnosis. Sure. Well, why is it like that? That's where the magic happens is figuring out why does your knee hurt? 
right? Why is, why does your ankle hurt? Why does your shoulder hurt? Not just your shoulder hurts. Here's a list of exercises that help with shoulder pain. Because for one person, it might be because they sit at a desk all day. And for another person, it could be because they walk the dog on one side of their body and the dog pulls the whole time. Like those are going to have two different rehab uh, plans. So on one end of the spectrum, I can work in the rehab sector and work with people in rehabbing injuries. And on the other end, I can help them improve their movement and improve their health, just like a personal trainer would. And I actually am kind of in the middle. So when I, especially in person, I work to bridge that gap between rehab and performance. So whether you're about to have surgery or you're um, had surgery or you're managing an injury, I can help create programs around that and help prepare you or rehab you. Um, And then when it comes with like athletes, I had a, a competitive swimmer who had shoulder issues. Now he needs to swim every single day, twice a day. And we need to figure out how to, what is wrong with his body and why he's in pain. He still needs to train, but we still need to figure out the problem. Like it was a really unique situation. Um, So basically the difference between a personal trainer and a kin is more that we're regulated. Now, certification and experience, a lot of people have like a whack ton of certifications. I'm actually, I don't care too much about what like letters you have by your name. I care more about, are you a good person? Do you know how to use evidence-based research? Like I know plenty of personal trainers that use evidence-based research. So they, it doesn't matter if they're regulated or not. They know how to protect the public and make sure they're giving sound med- or sound health advice um, and, and fitness advice, right? They're not just picking a random workout to give to a random person. Um, I, I actually worked as a personal trainer specifically for four years before I got registered. Now my practice hasn't changed too much other than the fact that I'm allowed to do more things. Um, So when you're looking for someone to work with you, you wanna make sure that they have an understanding of the body. Preferably I like when people have a regulated healthcare or regulated fitness professional because I am one. So I'm like support those people because they're putting extra effort in to get regulated. Um, having the background in kinesiology or exercise science is really beneficial. Like a lot of, a lot of people just don't get regulated because they're like, whatever, I can do the same thing in Ontario or in Canada and the States, uh, certified strength and conditioning specialists are really good. They're actually working on trying to create a regulating body for themselves as well, because they recognize that. So it's so important. So then talking about what you do through Empowered Performance and your website, empoweredperformance.ca, when people, obviously everything is online now because we're all Mm -hmm. stuck at home. Mm -hmm. Um, What can, what can people find there? And if they choose to to partner with you because they're looking for something curling specific, what can you, what exactly can you provide for them? Yeah. Uh, The website really is just going to sign you up for my newsletter, give you like a snapshot of some of the things that I offer. um, And then most importantly, have my contact info. So (laughs) send me an email if you're interested in learning more. I don't actually uh, like put on my website, like what services I provide, because I think it's so dynamic depending on the person. So someone might come to me saying they want off season training. But if I find out that really all they need is mobility, I'm going to send them some of my yoga and my yoga stuff like more mobility-based stuff. I'm not going to be like, yeah, let's do a whole big expensive off-season program when really you just need to improve your mobility and carry on with your CrossFit or something. Okay. Right? Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And then, and then where, can, where can people find you? And it did, I know that you're, you're on Instagram a lot. You're on Twitter a lot. Where can people find you? Uh, Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Empower Performance uh, on Instagram 
And then Twitter is fit underscore nut underscore curl. So fit nut curl, because I'm a little fitness nut and I curl. Uh, and you do you do a lot of uh, you do a lot of question and answer on Instagram too, right? I do most of my social media on Instagram. So basically, I actually it's not like I forgot that Twitter existed. I just had it <laughs> automatically pop up on Twitter, and I never actually went on to engage with it until recently. Actually, it was it was probably closer to when this whole thing kind of started, like three or four months, three or four weeks ago, where I was like, "Ooh, Twitter! I, oh, I don't have I didn't have access to a TSN." or sports center. So I couldn't watch the briar. So I was looking through all the social medias looking for highlights. And I was like, Oh, Twitter would be a good spot. And I was like, Oh, my God, like people have been asking me questions for like a year, and I haven't been answering. (laughs) (laughs) But but yes, Instagram would be more where I do uh, most of my stuff. My I use the Instagram stories a lot. Um, just to show that I'm a human being, <laughs> which is, which is, which is important with a, with a, a strength coach, or I call myself a strength and wellness coach. Cause I like to kind of bring it all together. Um, on Instagram right now, I am offering free yoga classes and I teach a type of yoga called yoga with a J. So it's yoga for jocks. Um, and it's basically everything. Yeah. It's basically everything. It's, it's traditional yoga combined with the biomechanics of sports and exercise. So if you haven't figured out it already, like it's like nerd yoga and I love it. Uh, <laughs> but they created it for people that need yoga, but it, the language that they use doesn't speak to them. Right. Or someone that comes to it and they're like, oh, I can't touch my toes. I'm like, perfect. We literally designed this for you. Because if you try to, if you're like, if you're going to start yoga, you're not going to start it only when you're good at yoga. That doesn't make any sense. It's like the people I see sometimes and I'm like, oh, like, are you ready to start training with me? And they're like, yeah, I need to lose some weight first. It's like pump the brakes. If you lose weight without me, you don't need me. <laughs> hmm. like, I this doesn't make any sense to me. You need to lose weight before you come to me to help you lose weight. Like, no, like, has, if you can do it by yourself, then that's perfect. How have you seen all of this change in the last uh, six years? Because I really think that the, the tipping point was Team Jacobs and everything that they did in the gym and then their run all the way to Olympic gold. Um, have you seen yeah. have you seen a big upswing the last six years in the number of curlers that have that have sought out fitness professionals for for help, even like at all levels, or is it mainly been the the hyper competitive folks? Um, definitely. And well, part of it, the problem is like I only like I only advertised or worked with people that I knew for the first few years. So I can't speak for the the rest of the world, but I can tell you I can only count on one hand the number of people that I know that actually work with curlers that like continually work with curlers. So I'm not going to say that you're not going to have, um, you're not going to be able to go find someone and who's going to be able to like look at curling videos and figure out how to train that person, right? Like that'd be a really smart trainer. As I said, I train a, a swimmer. I don't competitively swim, but I understand the mechanics of it, right? Um, but yeah, it actually, I want to give tr- credit to the Olympics before that and Cheryl Bernard and, oh my God, who's the men's team? Uh, that was wow. Kevin Martin's team. <laughs> Kevin Martin. Thank you, Kevin Martin's team. That Olympics showcased how much you needed to be fit. And if you actually Google fitness and curling, there's not a lot out there. 85% of the crap out there is mine. (laughs) The wonderful stuff, right? Like you get comes up with this like itty bitty little blonde girl, like telling you all about health and fitness. Um, And then there's also a couple stuff out there that I, I, what I based some of my training programs off was the Canadian curling association or whatever they are curling Canada. I ended up posting some, 
some sample programming that Kevin Martin's team and Cheryl Bernard's team was doing. So that Olympics kind of like kicked it off a little bit more. And if I was in my first year of university going, heck yes, like curlers need to be fit. This is my jam. Like this is going to happen. I'm so pumped. So that was the first one. But then, yes, Jacob's team took it to a whole other level because they physically looked fit too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then, because my engagement and my audience online has increased, I have seen more people. And honestly, my market is the States. There's people in the States that are picking up curling and they're like middle-aged, they're first or second year curling, and they're like soaking it all up. They're like, I want to be the best curler ever. And I want to catch up to all these people that have been curling for 20 years. And luckily for them, they Google curling and fitness and I pop up and I'm like, I can help you. So one of the things I started this year was actually doing delivery audits and sweeping audits. So if you don't have access to a coach, or don't like your coach or whatever, or can't afford a coach, or you can't coordinate your ice schedule with their ice schedule with the curling club schedule. I took, I had people taking videos of their delivery or their sweeping. They sent it to me. I gave them my coaching analysis. And then when we talked and they did their adjustments, we talked about ways that their body can be adjusted. So if it's your balance, how can we help your balance off the ice? If it's your upper body, if your lat strength, those latissimus dorsi muscles are stopping you from getting in the perfect position and sweeping, what can you do off the ice? Um, so, so it's interesting. It's all the new curlers that are actually pumped to learn how to do fitness and use the off ice time, especially now that we've got six months <laughs> to, to <laughs> increase that. It's the, I'm, I know a lot of the like competitive teams usually pick people that they can work with in person. Um, the more competitive the team, typically I see them. Like I, I, the teams in Ontario that I train in the off season, I typically will see one or two of them at some point in the off season. I'm, this summer is going to be different. Um, I mean, I was the hipster of remote coaching. Like I was online before this even happened. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sweet. I've been training for this for years. I've got like a whack load of, of exercise videos already set up. I've got my systems oh, and all that kind of stuff. I do want to kind of talk just, just briefly on, so you, you talked about the team, the teams in, in 2010. So now we've had 10 years of people looking at curling um, where you have to be fit in order to be good at it. Do you think that it's kind of a, kind of a top down thing where the, the the people who are getting into curling are not necessarily getting into it just because of the social aspect like that, like may have happened in the seventies and eighties. Mm, Do you think that, mm-hmm. that people are getting into it, looking at it as a sport and it's kind of a, a trickle down effect, you know, most, and I'll yeah. kind of go on a tangent, I'll kind of go on a tangent here too. Um, most time, most of the times in sports trends go from the bottom up, like in, in, in American football, they talk about like every innovation starts at the high school level and then trickles up to college and then that trickles up to the NFL. In this case, is it going from the from the top down where people became aware of the sport because of the Olympics, watching these guys who were athletes for the last 10 years, and then that's gotten them into the sport and then they're continuing, you know, seeking seeking out help to to do curling specific training. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting point. So I, I'm not too sure. I know that like when I ask people, every person I work with, I'm like, why do you love curling? I, I feel like that's an important piece to like kind of bond on or at least figure out the person's motivations. 
So you're wondering if are people getting into the sport because of the, the physicality of it? Right? Is that what you're asking? You're thinking? Yeah, that's what he's asking. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, possibly it's a lot of people do like the community. I think a lot of people are, are brought to a curling club by a friend or a family member. So the community's already there. And then they might stay for the physicality. Like I actually enjoy the competitive and the physicality. I love the community as well. But I, I it's because it's such a precise, it's like golf. Like I know another four word for golf. I know another four word four letter word for curling. <laughs> Like it's like a pain. You're like, I want to get better, and I and I am starting to get better, and things are feeling good, and then I'm, oh crap, now I need to get better at this. Like, you, you, that that is like a different kind of physicality. But I guess at some end, the people are looking for an edge. So if they're starting curling late and needing to catch up, fitness definitely is there for people. Like they're not, they're looking at it more as a sport than just the social side of it. But I want to flip that and say, I bet you it's kind of like a double-edged sword. So you've got the competitive people and I've got people that are like, I want to break the scene in Manitoba. They're like, they're, they didn't play in juniors. They're competitive at their club and they're like, they want to figure out how to get on a team to like do well on tour. Okay. So for them to catch up, they need the physicality of it. And then the teams that are already the high end teams in Manitoba are looking at these people coming up going, if I don't keep my edge, they're going to pass me. So I think it's kind of going back and forth. They're like feeding off of each other. You've got the really good people and then you've got the small people wanting to be like them. So they up their game. And then the big guys are like, ah, crap, I got to keep training or this guy's going to get better. They can't get by anymore on skill alone, which is really what it's coming down to, right? Yeah, for sure. Like you need to have that edge, the mental edge or the physical edge. Yeah. So what, what do you think the, like looking forward 10 years, I guess, what do you think the fitness trends and curling are going to be, or what are the new fitness developments we're going to see in the game? Oh, that's an interesting question. My hope is that there's more trainers out there. Like, like I think we need more people helping teams because, because it's, it's a market, right? Curlers are either starting curling like, I think that the trend is going to continue. People are going to continue to try to be fitter because they need it. Uh, my hope is that, so Curling Canada puts together their perfect curling delivery and they teach their coaches and the coaches learn how to adapt those deliveries based on if they're wide or they're drifting or they, their release sucks, right? But what is missing is if we're trying to teach someone how to sweep and we can get them in, we can manipulate their body to get into that position, but they don't have the strength to hold it. What I'm hoping is getting there is we're teaching our coaches and the, or the coaches are seeking it out uh, and, and learning how, okay, if my, my 12 year old girl can't hold the sweeping position, what does she need to do off the ice to allow her to hold the sweeping position? If my 16 year old guy who just had a growth spurt, or my 50-year-old guy that started curling late, how can we increase their mobility without exposing them to injury? My hope is that coaches are going to be able to be more like other sport coaches and actually kind of collaborate with the strength and conditioning coaches. There's not meant, like I know that there's a lot of people, especially if you look at the, the uh, air quote occupation of the juniors coming up, they're all in university for exercise science or kinesiology, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. hopefully those are coming through going, okay, we need to better this sport in some way. And who knows, like, for I can't speak for other provinces and, and actually I kind of can. A lot of the high performance programs aren't sharing the secret sauce, right? 
Like I noticed growing up, you Google fitness and curling, you had one article from the Olympics in 2010. You had one article released by Western Ontario. You had one article on this. Someone who's a physio had a couple exercises online, but the secret sauce, the exercises that they're giving to their high performance athletes is not available for the general public. So that's where I was like, I got to fill this gap because there's nothing there. I had to learn all this stuff through trial and error and researching. Like I spend many, I woke up at friggin' five o'clock this morning. Like my mind was like spinning. So I'm like, how can we fix X, Y, Z? So yeah, my husband gets mad at me when I do that. He's like, turn the light off. (laughs) 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 Like I'm like thinking, I have things going on in my head. I got to write it down. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's my hope. My hope would be obviously the trend continue. Um, and then my hope would be that we change either the availability of edu- of the stuff for people or the coaches are, are getting that access to that information. Do you, you, do either of you golf? No, I don't golf to answer your question. <laughs> okay. Real quick. So golfing has the Titleist performance Institute of, on, of something, something. So they actually have a certification that coaches can get that teaches them how to strength train based on the things that people can't do in their golf swing. So we need that for curling. So flash forward 10 years, we'll be on the podcast and we're going to talk about that. Um, The second thing I just want to notice, because there was that gap, I created a webinar this year. Uh, And basically the webinar is bridging that gap. It's providing the education for coaches and athletes. So I ran one about a week, sorry, Thursday. I don't even know what day it is anymore. I posted on Instagram that it was Sunday or Monday, it's Sunday. (laughs) Um, (laughs) On Thursday and then on I'm going to do another one for the OCC so you can actually get continuing education points as a coach. Um, End of the month, I'm doing a private one for a curling club in the area. And I'm going to repeat this one because it was just a full of gems for all those university kids at the end of May. Um, So being able to put that information out there and what I want is people to challenge what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm the only one that I know of that's actually training curlers specifically. So like if we can get some dialogue going and figuring out how that kind of stuff is, is going, like I'm super interested and the, yeah. Anyways, this has been great. Yeah. That's really <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. So that, that'd be great to follow up on that. Um, is that, so I, just as an aside, Ryan can edit this part out. So I coach <laughs> yeah. and, uh, English curling is not very deep. So I'm actually, I'm actually normally the one roped into coaching the national junior teams. Mm. Um, so and I've been doing it the last five years. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that stuff is just like what's the fitness issues um and a lot of it is like you look at delivery problems and a lot of time is some kind of strength problem like huge you know one of the juniors doesn't have the strength to kind of slide out or they've got stability issues with their slide and a lot of it's just like how do you how do you uh put all that together oh i was gonna say yeah curlers used to be like farmers right so they were generally strong because their day-to-day life was strong. Now we sit on our ass and watch Netflix and play on our computers and scroll through Instagram and make TikTok videos. Like <laughs> yeah. there's the ability to do that. So we, because we aren't getting that from our general movement anymore, we, sh- we need to get it from specific strength parameters. Anyways, carry on. Yeah. Yeah. So what, I guess just to wrap up then, what, uh, is there anything else you want to add or it's uh, kind of like a, cl- a closing point if we missed anything in the interview? Um, Yeah, so I think what I want to get across, though, is that people don't need to have a full four phase training program into order in order to get stronger or healthier or fitter to be a better curler to improve their performance. Um, What I'm trying to get across is that you can do little things, even if we're in our quarantine right now, or 
uh, just like any old regular off season. There's always something you can do. So even if you're golfing or Orange Theory or CrossFit, you can still upgrade your warmups to include those things that are going to make your delivery better. Um, if you're not doing any cardio and you're just a power lifter, making sure you're getting some cardio in so it helps your sweeping. Like there's things that we can do that don't have to be, I call it training without training. Um, and as long as you're improving your health and wellness and your general strength, you should see transfers. So I think just what I want to make sure people understand is it doesn't have to be this big giant thing. It could be something small. Cause if you add one thing in during this off season and one thing in next off season, you're two things ahead of where you were last off season, <laughs> which is progress, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon. Bye.